Hines. This is Pastor Patrick Hines. Uh, special program today. I was listening to Semper Reformanda Radio. I'm about an hour into that their uh, 95th program where they respond to email shoutouts and <clears throat> apparently are going to discuss some stuff about um, covenant theology. Uh, the fatal flaw in Presbyterian covenant theology. That will be interesting for me I, I, when I get to that part of it. But I wanted to uh, uh, go through just a few things here. I just wanted to kind of give an update. I really like that um, Tim and Carlos did uh, this kind of year-end inventory and responding to emails. And um, certainly uh, appreciate their encouragement. Um, there, there have been times uh, here in the tucked away in the Appalachian Mountains in Northeast Tennessee that I've wondered um, if there are any. Uh, humans left that still love the true gospel um, and are willing to defend it in public um, and who love it and who will die for it and fight for it and because, you know, we want Christ to be glorified uh, for the perfection of his work and the triune God worshipped um, appropriately and we don't want to allow the admixture of works of any kind. You know, I love that phrase from our confession in the chapter on justification. Not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. And it just every time I, I read that in our confession, it just I just want to jump up and shout Amen. And uh, just so thankful for the gospel, so thankful for the gospel, and uh, and so heartbroken um, at its modern detractors and at the silence of men who should know better and should be shouting um, and defending and doing everything that they possibly can uh, to assure that no glory is taken away from Christ for the greatness of his work. Uh, I just needed a little sip of coffee there. <clears throat> Still waking up. It is hard when you get into your 40s and you have a house full of children. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. Um, so I wanted to first, uh, thanks to Tim and Carlos, they've been a real just... Real great encouragement uh, to me. I'm so thankful for their stance for the gospel. You know, I've really enjoyed um, Carlos's uh, writing and uh, Tim Kaufman's programs. I, I wish I could listen to all the SRR um, programs that are out there. There's a lot of really good stuff. The the Roman Catholic stuff that um, Tim Kaufman has put out there is just outstanding. Um, I really appreciate the, his uh, knowledge of patristics and um, church history and, and some of the issues related to uh, to Roman Catholicism. And, you know, just, just very thankful for that. Um, the, the Protestant Witness podcast, um, really thankful for this, really thankful to have the opportunity to, to do a podcast. And, uh, I think it's a good thing. And I'm thankful for my, these partners in, in ministry here. Um, it's really become kind of, um, my greatest hits. <laughs> I can't think of any other way to say it. I go out to sermon audio and, uh, uh Tim, mentioned uh, there's more than 600 sermons. There's actually over 700 under my name because I, I preached uh, a lot of sermons at the church in Ohio um, that are not under Bridwell Heights's sermon audio page, but they're under my name if you just put, uh, look for the sermons under my name. If you really want to overdose on me, um, yeah, those are, those are out there too. And a lot of sermons um, preached at the church I came from um, before I got to Bridwell Heights about six and a half years ago. <clears throat> so the Protestant Witness uh, has enabled me to put out some of the videos I had done on my YouTube channel. I had like, like 150 videos out there uh, over a number of years. And I, I also uploaded a lot of those videos to Sermon Audio. So I might try to transfer, especially some of the Eastern Orthodox stuff um, that I did, because folks have said, hey, we, we used to look at that. And you know, some of those, some of those videos had uh, several thousand views. One, one of the videos I did on um, 
Hank Hanegraaff had 11,000 something views. Man, I got a lot of email from, from folks uh, that watched that one. Um, the whole Hank Hanegraaff going to Eastern Orthodoxy. And, and I, I documented in one of those videos uh, that Hank said his views have not changed, and I, I demonstrated that that is not a true statement. Um, he used to recommend R.C. Sproul's book, Faith Alone. Um, and now is acting like, hey, we don't know what faith alone's about. We don't make, we don't even make a dichotomy between faith and works at all in the East, and we never had these debates, and yada, yada, yada. But he did used to, to point out that justification is by faith alone, and in fact, he used to understand James chapter 2 correctly. And I d document that in uh, Hank Hanegraaff's Bible Answer book uh, that I have on Kindle, and contrasted it with what he's saying now. Uh, and also contrasted what he said with uh, his uh, predecessor, Walter Martin. Walter Martin wrote an excellent little book called Essential Christianity and addresses James too and, and the misuse of it by Rome, and, and etc. So I may bring some of that um, uh, Eastern Orthodox stuff uh, back and, and um, put the audio on the Protestant Witness because I, I think fo folks found that Eastern Orthodox stuff to be helpful. I, I got into dialogues with a lot of Eastern Orthodox folks. Well, I'll tell you, talk about a, a fluid group of people. Um, I mean, Eastern Orthodoxy is anything but a united front. I mean, I had this young convert guy sending me videos and sending me links to sermons, and I responded, I mean, this this young guy's a flaming liberal, and the, the sermons that he sent me by a guy named Thomas Hopko, who, who died in 2015, uh, the guy was a, was a liberal. I mean, it, it seriously was like li listening to something by Henry Van Dyke or... Uh, uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick, uh, one of Machen's opponents, way back in the during the fundamentalist modernist controversy, and I thought this is this is what you are have embraced this, this uh, liberal nonsense, and it, so ju just uh, really disappointing. Thomas Hopko, you know, thinks the idea that Jesus is, is satisfying divine justice is absolute madness and it's insanity. It's crazy. It's not what the church has ever believed, and I'm just like, what what Bible are you reading, and what? What historical sources are you reading? Because uh, that's that's always been the Christian proclamation. Jesus died for our sins. Okay, so the, the Protestant Witness has really become kind of my greatest hits. Because you can sort your sermons on Sermon Audio by popularity. So, uh, the sermons that are uh, the, the more popular ones are the ones that I've been posting. Because I, I think they, they hit a chord with folks. And I think that people will find them helpful. What's interesting is if you do sort your sermons on Sermon Audio, you can see what your least popular messages are too. And uh, my my least listened to um, sermons are the sermons I preached on deacons, the need for deacons, the ministry of deacons, and selecting deacons. And I, that's disappointing to me because that's an office in Christ Church. And you know our church here, I we went through a, a year of officer training. I actually I came up with a plan, a reading list, and everything for the session because we needed some deacons. We needed more deacons. We only had four. We needed some more. And we wanted to open up three slots to get nominations, and so three guys were nominated, and I originally proposed a, a training plan that was going to take 18 months, and they said, no, that, Patrick, that's too long, and I said, okay, so I had to get rid of some of the books. It's kind of like asking you which one of your kids you want to kill or something, you know, because <laughs> every book I had on that list was so important, and so, but they said, this needs to not take more than a year, so we... we know, trimmed it down to a year, did the officer training, had, we got three new deacons, so now we have seven deacons, and I, I love those guys, they're great, they do so much work in this church, but yeah, if you want to know one of my least favorite sermons that I've ever preached, the sermons on deacons, and I did a lot of work on those sermons, I read the New Testament deacon, minister of mercy, um, 
read uh, the sections of R.B. Kuyper's book, The Glorious Body of Christ, which is an awesome book on ecclesiology. I mean, R.B. Kuyper, that's not spelled like Abraham Kuyper, it's R.B. Kuyper, K-U-I-P-E-R, The Glorious Body of Christ, is outstanding book, just an outstanding book. The stuff that he wrote on deacons, and, and then the New Testament deacon minister of mercy, and put together a couple sermons to prepare the congregation. They were going to be nominating deacons, I wanted to to go over with them, here's how you do it, here's what you need to look for uh, to nominate deacons. But what we really need are are more elders. Um, things at the church here at Brittle Heights Presbyterian Church are, are going real well. Um, as of our, our statistical report uh, at the end of this year, I mean, we're, we're a smaller church, but and we have a, a decent-sized facility, but we're getting, getting to where we're outgrowing this facility. Um, we have 129 communicant members, and we have, get this, 47 covenant children. You know, I tell people from the pulpit um, occasionally, don't, um, if you're standing around talking, don't take a step backwards because you're probably going to trip over somebody's kids. Now, granted, over a fifth of those are mine because <laughs> I, my wife's about to have our 10th child, just uh, more on that here in just a moment, but we're blessed with lots of kids and there are, there's um, newlyweds in the church that just, uh, just had one. Another newlywed couple's about to have one. Um, and so we're, we're gonna, we're gonna break the 50 covenant children threshold here very shortly, which is just incredible for a church that's a smaller church like our church is. Um, but we also have plans in the works. Um, we, we did a $100,000 expansion, um, a couple years ago. We, we had to expand our parking lot a little bit and we also, um, knocked down some walls in the basement and expanded our fellowship hall because we do these monthly communion fellowship meals and we'd have, we'd have 160 people would be, would stay for lunch and, you know, we, we would stay and and chit chat and and talk and fellowship and hang out, um, until two and three in the afternoon. That's why we don't do an evening service on the first Sunday of the month because people stay here and hang out for so long. But we are now, we've got plans to try to double the size of our sanctuary because we're bringing in more, a lot more tithe money than we, than we need. And we made the decision, the session made the decision, um, a couple years ago, we're not going to take on any new ministries or new missionaries. Instead, we're going to engage in what we call a a big home missions project. And that is everything that's above and beyond our budget. We siphon off into a growth fund is what we're calling it. And we're getting, I think fairly close. It'll be interesting at our, our annual budget meeting, uh, which is coming up in January with all the elders and the deacons, to uh, propose to put together the budget and propose it to the congregation. It'll be interesting to me to see how what the levels are at right now because I think we're getting close to being able to pull the trigger to do a one million dollar expansion, and then that would that would maximize what we can do with the land that we have here at the church. We've got like five acres. We we've got the space that we need to add more parking, and we had an architect put together a plan. We had a committee that did a lot of work. They they really did great work to figure out what we could do. Do we want to move and try to build a new building, or do we want to try to buy an existing structure and remodel it, or is there anything we can do here? Getting a new building and like buying land and building would be like five million dollars. There's no way we could do that. I wouldn't want to do that. I think that that would that, that none of us are comfortable with that. Buying an existing building of some kind, like a warehouse, and then trying to like remodel it or something, that would have been around three, three and a half million, and we didn't like that either. That's too much money, and. The proposal that we were given by the architects and from the committee was around nine hundred thousand to a million dollars. We can knock down the sides of the sanctuary and make it twice the size that it is now, 
And all we need to do is add some parking up by the, there's a parsonage, there's a manse, a building where I, actually my family and I lived there until we sold our house in Ohio. And there's places up there we can put more uh, pavement for, for parking. And then we would maximize this area. We would maximize the land that we've got here. Um, and I told them, I have no interest and never have had any interest in a mega ministry. I'm not, not going to do that. There's not, not a chance that I'm going to preach to you know, a congregation of more than 500. That's just not, if I don't know the people I'm preaching to, I don't know how I could really apply the word of God effectively to them. So that, that's not going to happen. But if we have a sanctuary that's twice the size of the one now, we could probably, Lord willing, if the church continues to grow, um, once we hit around 250 members, I'm thinking, Lord willing, the three seminary students we're training here will be close to being ready to, to take their own churches. And I want to get them pulpit opportunities and get them licensed and give them, you know, about seven Sunday nights a, um, a year each. So that'd be 21 Sunday nights a year that they'd get to preach so that they've got experience and the, and the congregation's used to hearing them and then plant churches with them. That's what I've always wanted to do you know, since I was a, a young man. Um, I've wanted to be a church planter and, and do missions in that way here here in America. I think America is one of the darkest nations on this planet. I mean, it's getting to where you can't find the gospel anywhere in this country. You have to look really hard. It's kind of like what Amos talked about. It's a famine of the word and people running to and fro. And you know, folks come to us here, and it's it's because of the the stuff that you know they hear it on sermon audio. Uh, people listen to the the Protestant Witness now, and I've I've tried to to promote that, encourage people to listen to that. And so people are showing up because they they want. Biblical worship, and I love telling people all the time because we have no gimmicks. I mean, this church, we, we don't have a youth group. Um, we, we encourage uh, families to stay together. We're family integrated. Um, we encourage everyone to stay in the sanctuary. We have a nursery for kids up to two. Once they're past the age of two, they have to be in the sanctuary with everyone else. Um, and we have no gimmicks. We don't have a praise band. We have a, a piano and a, a clavinova with an organ voice in it. That's it. That's what we do. It's a very boring traditional reform service but people love it people come because they want to worship god because after all god is the audience of worship not the congregation and that's something that people need to learn uh, people need to know uh, god is the audience of worship not us people well, i just don't like the music i don't like this i don't like that and people have said that to me over you know over the years at times and i just say in all this time you thought it was about you you're not we're not here for you we're here to worship God. We're here to declare His glory and to give Him praise and to, to love and, and worship His Son, our Savior, our Redeemer. And so, yes, we want to do that with beautiful music, with well-played music, and we're blessed with some phenomenal musicians at this church um, who use their musical gifts and their talents. And if our sanctuary gets bigger, I'd like to get more instruments involved. I'd love to see some strings and everything else. But we do rich theological hymnody. Uh, we don't do the, the praise choruses and things like that. And I, I tell people at the church, if you hear good reformed hymns, uh, we'll use them. And people email me stuff and, you know, we sing In Christ Alone, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. There's a whole bunch of them. We have them in laminated sheets with a little key ring thing on them uh, behind the hymnals and the pews. Because we're not just a Red Trinity hymnal, that's it. No, there's still good reformed hymns out there. In fact, I just sent an email with three new really great reformed hymns to the um, to the music folks here at church and the session loves the hymns and so they're they're looking for the music and we're going to try to teach them to the congregation we're all for that 
But one of the one of the rules of thumb I've I've told folks about hymnody and about music because people will will complain. Well, I, I really like I really like the the repetitious praise choruses, and I really like this and that. And over the years, I've come up with this as a, as kind of a response to that. If someone can sing a hymn in a synagogue, a mosque, a Mormon chapel, and a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall without giving offense then there's not enough theological content to the hymn. Does that make sense? And people are like, yeah, I get it. I said, think of hymns as you're singing the faith into your soul and you're praising God for the doctrines that he has revealed and for the great things he has accomplished. And you can't sing about things like that without theology. You can't. And so that's the heart and soul of of how we worship here at our church, and um, it's encouraging. We we use the, the there's a maroon uh, book of psalms for singing, uh, so we sing a lot of psalms here too. We're not we're not psalms only, but uh, we we do sing a lot of the psalms, and we sing the great you know reformed uh, hymns of the past. And uh, so thing, things at the church are going well. We've been really blessed. The church I came from um, had a lot of problems and issues. It was a very very difficult experience for me. It was one of the I'll just go ahead and say it. Those four years at my first church um, were the worst four years of my life. <laughs> they they really were. Those were the worst four years I have lived on this planet. Between the age of thirty two and thirty six, those were those were unhappy times uh, for me. Very 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 stressful and sad. Um, but things here the last six and a half years um, have been wonderful. I am blessed with such a great congregation here. Uh, they love the Word of God. They love the Gospel. Um, and the people in this church take care of each other. I, I'm consistently blown away uh, at how much love there is uh, in the congregation here and how sweet and how warm people are to one another. And they have been such an encouragement to me. I, I'll tell you, it was hard. The first four years I was a pastor, it was like nonstop. You know, I, I was just being slashed and burned constantly. You know, people didn't like the Reformed faith, they didn't like what I had to say about education they didn't like you know the emphasis on recognizing education as a comprehensively religious undertaking um and you need to recognize that i i realize people have limitations based on their life situations as far as what options are available to them nevertheless at the end of the day fathers um in particular and fathers and mothers in general but fathers in particular are held responsible by god for the education of their children and there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of people that don't like to hear things like that, and um, and people let me know about that and complained and fussed at me. And but you know, <clears throat> when you go into pastoral ministry, you kind of accept that um, there, there's going to be folks that don't like you. Um, hey, the apostles had rocks thrown at them and were stoned and had riots and things like that. So it shouldn't surprise us that there's a little bit of that antithesis going on. Still, so, excuse me while I sip some more coffee here. Now, family update. Uh, my eldest is 19. Abigail Grace is uh, 19. Uh, Seth is 17. Paul is uh, uh, 15. And Maria is 14. And Lily is 9. Hannah is 7. Malachi is 6. Elizabeth is 4. Ruth is 2. And then we have a baby that's going to be coming probably in the next two weeks. Uh, my dear Amy is pregnant with our uh, 10th child. I have seven, seven girls, including our unborn baby girl and three boys. So yeah, I've got, I've got to figure out a way to pay for uh, seven weddings. I'm going to have to sell a kidney on the black market or something. I don't know how we'll, we'll figure out something. 
Um, but family's doing great. Um, my four eldest children, uh, all, all 10 of my children, um, were baptized as covenant children and, uh, were, uh, seen as members of the church as part of how we understand, uh, the continuity of, of the church prior to and after the coming of Christ, um, that our children are not suddenly, uh, to be discarded or left at home, but they're supposed to be brought to church with us. And we need to, uh, teach them how to worship God, teach them how to pray and evangelize them. Um, but they are members of our church, non-communicant members. My four eldest children have now made their professions of faith and are, are communicant members. And I, I tell you, um, it, it's been a blessing, um, uh, such a blessing to me that my four eldest kids are, are not just um, friends. They're not just my children. They are my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And they're great, great Christian young people. And I'm not just bragging on my kids. We've been through some difficult things. We've been through some hard stuff um, with a couple of them. Um, but all four of them uh, never really had um, rebellion in their hearts. All four of them were uh, very soft-hearted towards the gospel and, and loved the, the gospel. And it, it moved me you know, to hear their testimonies uh, when they shared them with the elders. You know. um, but Paul and Maria... Uh, recently became members. That was just a couple months ago, and uh, that really uh, warmed my heart uh, to hear their testimonies. And uh, we've been talking. Obviously, we do family worship every single day. You know, I wake them up, and we do devotions in the morning. We do devotions in the evening, and I do. I actually do devotions separately with all my younger children, because in a sense, I have two batches of children. <laughs> we had four very quickly, and then there's a there's a five and a half year gap between my fourth and fifth, because we we just were kind of done having kids and then we had a change of heart and I wonder if God would give us more, more kids. Yeah. Six more. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been very blessed. Uh, my wife, um, the doctor told me your wife is a baby making machine. I said, yeah, I know it's pretty incredible. Um, we do home births and no complications. And Amy's like, like fully recovered. Like she didn't even have a baby like a week later. It's pretty, pretty unbelievable. She, my wife is kind of, um, she's, she would have been like one of those pioneer women, like real, real tough and gristly and very strong physical constitution. She just has always been like that. And I, I just have nothing but love and respect for her. She is a, a blessing to me. And the thing is, she's three years older than me. You know, I don't think she would care, but if I said this, but she's 46 years old, um, and people get all upset, you know, you're having children. This is, she's too old to have kids. We've had three kids past the age of 40. Uh, for her, and she's 46 with this child. Now, I do think this this will probably be the last, but I've said that three times now, so I, I tell people I uh, I'm just not going to be saying that anymore. But probably this will be the last. So, family's doing doing really well. My younger kids are um, are doing great. Uh, they're they're we've been really blessed by the grace of God. We homeschooled the kids. You know, we've homeschooled them all. And they're very, very sharp, very bright, and uh, we've been been really blessed in that way with healthy kids that that really seem to have a heart for the Lord and love the gospel and have not really shown any any hints of uh, rebellion or, or anything like that. So that that's always been one of my fears is that my kids would rebel or walk away from the Lord, and they, they just haven't done that. And you know that's that's because of God's faithfulness to His promises. That's because of my wife's steadfastness in evangelizing them and teaching them, instructing them and doing so much, carrying so much of the homeschooling burden. But, 
um, myself as well. Uh, I've taught all four of my older kids know the entire Westminster Shorter Catechism, all 107 questions and answers uh, from memory. Uh, taught that to them, and they recited it out loud uh, at our church to get a Bible, a leather Bible with their name engraved on it. Um, there's one other family that's done it too, and I always push and encourage that. You need to teach the catechism to the kids. In fact, if you look at the history of the PCA, uh, Frank Smith wrote a really good history of the PCA. What happened to the PCA? Why did it lose its soul? Or not the PCA, but the PCUS, the, the Southern Church. Why did it start turning liberal? People stopped catechizing their kids. And so they grew up and they didn't know the faith. They didn't know the doctrines. They didn't, they didn't know um, the truth. And it's difficult to believe the truth if you don't know what it is. And so you need to catechize your children. And I've preached on that. I have railed from the pulpit on that issue. I have hammered that as hard as I can with tears in my eyes to the congregation. So promoting family worship and uh, what the Puritans called domestic piety uh, has been a, a huge part of, of my ministry. Uh, I, need to, I need to post some of those sermons. Um, in fact, I, I did. I did post uh, uh, to the Protestant Witness on Matthew Henry and family worship. And I've preached a lot more. I did a 13-part series on discipling your family, and uh, people said that that was extremely helpful to them. Our church also provides, um, we, we help subsidize Christian education. If you homeschool or send your kids to a Christian school, we pay $200 per child uh, every year uh, to families that do that to try to help them and to promote and encourage that. Uh, so that's that with the, the families doing great, uh, pastorally, ministry-wise. I've been preaching expositorily through the Gospel of Luke, um, which is great. It's like I've said to people, I, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Um, it's such a an encouraging thing to be able to just immerse myself in commentaries and to look at the original language and, and to look at uh, the text and to pray through it and read it and reread it, reread it, read through the context, the surrounding context, and then to to put together um, meals for the people of God and to, to do that spade work and to get into the pulpit every Sunday about ready to just burst um, and ready to to share my findings with the people of God. And, and uh, I, I serve a congregation that is hungry for it. So it's been great. You know, at the end of the four years I was in Ohio, I, I it was really terrible. Like I said, those were the hardest days of my life. I, I used to take long walks um, by myself in the woods and I would just cry. <laughs> Like a little kid, I would just cry. And I'd get I'd fall, get on my knees in the woods, and and ask God, "Did I miss your will? I thought you wanted me to do this. Why why has everything been so hard? And why why has my life been so miserable? <laughs> trying to do this, I have only ever wanted to serve you and to preach the gospel, to evangelize people, to help people, help people's marriages, and to be a, a loving presence in the lives of your sheep." Um, but God needed to take me through that, um, humbling time. He needed to strike me down and, and, and hit me. I think of that proverb, blows that hurt cleanse away evil as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Uh, very often it's hard for God to use people, uh, greatly until he's hurt them deeply, uh, until he's cut them deeply. And God does that. God strikes us. He got, God hits us. Uh, and hurts us um, because he loves us. It's the same reason we we discipline our own children because we we love them. Uh, the thing is, I wouldn't have been as useful to God here if He had not taken me through uh, those very very difficult experiences. We had, we had uh, three miscarriages, um, and th that was during that time too. That was a real 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 difficult thing. Because I love being a dad. I love being a dad, and that was uh, very hard on us. So it was a th those were hard times, but. 
at the end of all that and then coming here and having having the love of a congregation and having elders that believe in me and, and that really are for me, I've really been able to just thrive here. And so these have been um, very happy days for, for me and happy times for my family and for me. So very thankful for that. It, it, we, we have challenges too. It's not like everything's perfect, but... Um, but for the most part, you know, the ministry here at the church and things are, are going really well. Been preaching through Luke's gospel. I've been doing a, a series through the Westminster Confession. I think I'm on the 55th sermon um, in chapter 16 of Good Works, and that's a very important chapter of our confession. So uh, I was going to preach that, that sermon this past Sunday night, but um, church got canceled because there's a foot of snow on the ground. <clears throat> so there's that. The ministry of the word is going well here at the church. And then there's Lamp Seminary um, is a, a new program that I think is really going to be the future of, of seminary education using all the resources with all the online stuff and all the courses that you can get and the MP3s and there's all sorts of stuff like that. The books are cheap. You know, there's electronic books, Kindle and, uh, you know, readers and everything else. <clears throat> I think that seminary education really does need to be retaken by pastors and local churches. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. And there's three guys here. I have prayed and prayed and prayed. Anyone that, that's a member of Brittle Heights Church, the, my pastoral prayer, the, the long prayer, I ask God to raise up men for gospel ministry every Sunday and do almost every day um, between Sundays too. Ask God, please give us godly men. We are in such desperate need. The, the need is so great and the, the, and the resources are so scarce. Please give us godly men. We desperately, desperately need godly men. And God has given us three here. <clears throat> so there's three guys here, John, Eric, and Ryan. I pray for those three guys. Uh, all three are, are you know, quite a bit younger than I am, and they have young families and little kids. And so those Saturday mornings, we meet at the church here every Saturday morning for at least an hour or required by the program to meet for an hour to go through the lectures that they went through, to look at their notes, to go through these dialogue worksheets about the theology they're studying and the Bible and everything else. So it's really great. I mean, that in and of itself could be a podcast because we have a great time sitting around the table. And these are, these are not three ordinary guys. These are three exceptionally bright, uh, young, uh, reformed Presbyterian brothers that I am so excited about. And I love these three men, and I'm just... Really excited for their future, and I really do think that, uh, Lord willing, if, if the trajectory continues at the church here and we keep growing, uh, that they're going to be the guys we plant churches with eventually. So, LAMP Seminary is a great program. Um, LAMPSeminary.org, is, uh, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, that is the website. There's that, and those three guys are doing great work. They're doing excellent work. Um, I'm excited to help them to improve their preaching skills. Uh, we're giving them opportunities. Uh, I've told them, once they've got about a year's worth of seminary work under their belt. I wanted them to get licensed in our presbytery so they can not just preach here, but also go out on the circuit. There's churches that are in need of pulpit supply regularly. So, and I've told them you always want to embrace and take whatever opportunities you get to stand in a pulpit and preach because, you know, preaching, preaching really, it is an art form and you need to get, you have to practice at it. And I, I told them we're also going to video record you. And as painful as it is, you need to see yourself preaching and you need to listen to recordings of yourself preaching so you can get rid of bad habits and you can learn how to present yourself better. See where you trailed off, where you may have lost folks, where your presentation is not as cogent as it needs to be. You, you've got to practice at this and get better at it because public speaking and preaching um, is, is something that's very important to the ministry of the Word. And I also told them, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a charismatic, um, but I have a very, 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 very high view of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, and I think that the Reformed churches have the highest view possible of the Holy Spirit. And when, when I had hands laid on me, when I was set apart for gospel ministry, there was a change. <laughs> there, there was a change in the unction and the pathos that accompanied me into the pulpit. It, it was a, there was a difference. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know how to describe it, but there, there's a sense of, of urgency, a sense of passion. Um, you, you want to prepare and to preach, you know, you just, it's, it just burns in your, in your bones. Like Jeremiah says, um, you know, it, it was like a fire in my bones and I, I, I tried to, to hold back, but I could not. And so there, there's that too, when it happens, when you're ordained to the ministry, there is an unction that accompanies, uh, that. And in my heart and in my mind, um, I'm always thinking, um, as the congregation sitting down before I pray over the, over the sermon text, <clears throat> Um, I'm thinking in my mind, I believe in the Holy Spirit, just like the, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God will help me and guide me. And occasionally, I break from my sermon manuscript, I don't do it very often, but I've been doing it more lately, and I was actually encouraged to do that more. Because <laughs> I I really do think when you preach, you need to, to deliver to the people of God the fruits and the results of the labor of, of over the Word that week that you worked hard over your sermon you're not just going to stand up there and wing it you're going to actually give them the the spade work that you did and the sweat from your brow over the passage so i don't like breaking from my manuscript and kind of going off into other not not into rabbit trails but to elaborating with more pathos but people have, have encouraged me to do that more because um they like that and that that's great. I think that's good. But you need you still need to stick to to the work that you've done and, and the uh, labor that you put over your sermon manuscript. So anyway, so ministry of the word's going well here at the church. We need elders, man. I'm telling you, um, <laughs> what we had uh, two deacons, two really good deacons moved away. So we were we were in need of deacons because the congregation has been slowly but surely growing. And we had uh, when I got here, there were four elders um, and then me. So there's five total. And one of, one of our elders uh, died uh, a few years ago, and he was uh, one of the founding members of the church, a man named Bob Lane. And Bob Lane was actually there in southern England and listened to Dwight Eisenhower's speech before D-Day happened. He was a World War II veteran. Uh, Bob Lane was one of my favorite people. Uh, he was 95 years old when he died, and uh, I did his funeral. I was with him. Me and my son Paul went to see Bob. Um, 20 hours before he died, uh, he was, he had cancer and it was all in his abdomen and I went to see him and, uh, held his hand and he looked at me and, and said, um, I know it's inevitable. Uh, I'm not bitter in any way and I'm ready. And he asked us if we would sing, um, his favorite hymns with him. <laughs> and so myself, my son, Paul, and uh, several other folks from church were there. We sang The Church is One Foundation. We sang Amazing Grace with him. And, uh, and then I went home, and when I was going to go back over there the next day, uh, I got the call that Bob had, Bob had gone on to glory. And I told the congregation, um, it was on a Sunday, and I started crying. And everyone, everyone at church was crying. And Bob was such a great guy. And I, I wanted to share a funny story about Bob. Bob was from that generation. He was from the, the generation that fought, that, you know, survived the depression and, and, um, and defeated the Axis powers and, the, you know, those bad guys, the Nazis and the Japanese, the Italians in World War II. And Bob 
had a way about him. He had, he had a, a dry sense of humor, um, but he would tell you exactly what he thought. And he was very intelligent, very spiritual, very godly, very knowledgeable man. And when I first got to the church here, I gave the elders at every monthly session meeting, every elders meeting every month, I would give them five blank cards with five envelopes and five postage stamps. And I told them, guys, people today in the world of electronic communications, they really, really respond well if you write them letters, if you write cards. And I always keep a stack of cards in my office and I write letters and I write cards, I handwrite stuff with, with stamps and envelopes and send them to the people because people really like that. People respond well to that. People have prayer requests. They have things that, that are going on in their life to get a card that someone took the time to write and p- address an envelope with a stamp. People really like that. That really, that really means something to them. So I encouraged all the elders to do that. And three out of the four did it. Um, Bob Lane didn't, didn't want to do that. And I didn't know, I didn't know he wasn't doing it. And it was, it was kind of a funny thing. After we had done that, I would, every session meeting, I would have the, a paper clipped thing of five blank cards, five envelopes and five stamps sitting in their chairs. So when they got in the room, they would pick those up. And I told them just write one note a week. And all three of the other elders did it. And they said, yeah, the people in the congregation really like that. And it encourages them to know we, we are thinking of them, that we're praying for them. And it was good. That was their response because I, I asked them, so is that going well, guys? I mean, I, I do that every month. We've been doing this for about five months. So I give you five stamps, five blank cards, five envelopes. And all three of the other elders are sitting there going, yeah, 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 it's been great. It's been great. But Bob Lane was just sitting there kind of looking at the table. And he wasn't responding at all. And so I got the courage to say, um, I said, Bob, has it, has it been helpful to you? to have the, those blank cards and those, those envelopes. And he looked up at me right in the eyes and he said, no, Patrick, it hasn't. But those stamps have come in real handy. <laughs> and we, we laughed so hard at that. Bob was just not the kind of guy that writes letters. Okay. That's just not his thing. And to have him say that the way he did, we just cracked up and I, I don't know if we actually even accomplished anything at that meeting, but he, he had us in stitches from that. No, Patrick, it hasn't. But those stamps have come in real handy. I shared that story at Bob's funeral, and the people thought that was really funny. That was so typical of, of Bob. But Bob was one of the most faithful men uh, I've ever met in my life. Uh, his wife, um, Lena, uh, went on to glory shortly after. She had a real severe dementia and uh, used to go see her. It, w- it was painful because uh, Lena knew me. Uh, when I first got to the church here, and she um, was a huge encouragement to me, and she would thank me for my sermons and for my preaching and everything. But the last couple years of of Lena's life, she did not recognize me, and I would at that nursing home, I would I would kneel down and get right up, like right so she could look right into my face, and I say, Lena, it's me. Remember the new member I took over for Pastor Ball when he retired, and she would sm- just smile and look at me, and I could tell she does not recognize me, but she was a very pleasant. Um, dementia, sometimes people get dementia and they, they get belligerent and kind of mean, but she was just as happy and smiling all the way up to the, to the end. But yeah, so we lost Bob. Bob has gone on to heaven. Um, but as the church has grown significantly, uh, since I got here, we really need some elders. We, we need at least two more. We, we really could use three more. And there's a couple guys here at the church that I would like to see nominated, um, but we really, really, really need elders. And, you know, always think of Ephesians chapter 4, 
Um, where do godly leaders in the church come from? They come as gifts from the ascended Christ in glory. He's the only one that can give godly men to the church. And if he doesn't do that, the church isn't going to have godly men. And, uh, you know, uh, one, one of these uh, things I've been transcribing lately, I, don't, I haven't had time to do this, but that guy who's an expert on Presbyterian history, and he found this, uh, the works of Samuel Blair, and in the opening uh, salvo of his book on predestination, um, Blair makes the comment about a pastor who was a very godly man, very godly minister, and God killed him. Because the church that he pastored wasn't worthy of him being there. <laughs> and I thought, you know, people used to have a much higher view of God. You know, they saw everything. N n n there was no chance happening. Everything had meaning. Every event had meaning. And Blair was saying, yes, this friend of mine who recently died, um, he wasn't treated well by the church that he pastored, and so God, because he was such a great minister, God killed him because that church and took him on to glory because that church didn't deserve him. <laughs> Thought, wow, um, okay, yeah, God, God can do that too. He can, he can remove godly men from us. I mean, let's face it: at no point in the church's history does it deserve to have godly leadership. But we really, really, really need godly men, and there is a there is a massive shortage of godly men. And, uh, you know, there's a psalm, I would like to preach through this at some point, the opening verse of Psalm 12, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men, they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Yes, we need to cry out to God, help us, for the godly man ceases, the faithful disappear from among the sons of men, I mean, isn't that what we're seeing today? There's very little faithfulness to the truth, very little faithfulness to the gospel, very little faithfulness to, to marriage vows, to discipleship of families and children. There's very little of that. Help us, God. There's no godly men anywhere. And the very last verse of Psalm 12 is just a, it's just a hammer blow of a, of a Bible verse. Listen, the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Hmm, why is there wickedness on every side in this country because vileness is being exalted among the sons of men perversion is being exalted among the sons of men and that's why the wicked are everywhere in our culture now and they're closing in on the church and they're trying to to bring that perversion perversion and vileness into the church itself and that's where we have to say thanks but no thanks and we have to resist up to and including our freedoms our lives uh, and whatever else it may cost us. So we could use some godly men in our church. We could use some elders. Um, there's a number of guys here I think are qualified. And um, we're hoping to open up nominations uh, in 2019. Uh, please, if you can remember, if you're a regular listener, please pray for us. The, the church, the local church, that's where the battle for the future is going to be won and lost, my friends. That, that's where the rubber hits the road is right there in the local church. Okay, uh, just a couple other things. Um... I want to just share uh, my love for my Baptist brethren. Tim and Carlos, great guys. I love you guys. You guys are a real encouragement uh, to me and very thankful. I, I assumed, wrongly, uh, that because you guys were, you know, it's part of the, the opening music and the opening quotations in the Semper Reformata radio, we are unashamedly, unabashedly 
Clarkian, and we're going to step on all your Vantillion toes out there, and I, I love that. Um, but I, I thought that that meant you guys were like full-on Clarkians, like Presbyterians, you know what I'm saying? Because uh, Gordon Clark was no Baptist. He was a he was a Presbyterian. He was part of the true church of Christ. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but um, I love my Baptist brethren. Um, I, the way I was introduced to Reformed theology was through a radio program called the White Horse Inn. This is way back in 1998 and 99. Uh, so this is probably when... Uh, Tim and Carlos were uh, were real young back then. You guys were probably in elementary school or something when that happened. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure how old you guys are, but listening to the White Horse Inn. You know how I used to listen to the White Horse Inn? <clears throat> I had a tape player, and I had a little tape recorder that I bought at a store, like a, a department store. got a little tape recorder, one of those little tape recorders you just push record. And I would stream the White Horse in from my computer into the speakers, and I would set my tape recorder and push record so I could listen to the tapes in my car. And that's literally how I was introduced to to the to Reformed theology, listening to the White Horse in. And they would recommend these, you know, these other guys, you know, R.C. Sproul and Lorraine Bettner and um, Louis Burkhoff and, and uh, James Pettigrew Boyce and all these other Reformed scholars and I started actually going to the public library. This is before I had children. When I had, you know, had more time to do things like this. I'd go to the public library and and would do interlibrary loans to get some of these books. That's actually how I got Chosen by God by RC Sproul was an interlibrary loan from a local Bible college. And read that and then returned it to the library and read all sorts of books. Read um everything Michael Horton had put out at the time. I I read and learned learned a ton from from Horton and Horton really helped me understand uh, the Bible better and understood church history a little bit better and, and started getting books on everything. I just was so curious about all these things. But that's how I started listening to uh, Reformed stuff was the White Horse Sin. And then also, I was always interested in doing evangelism with Roman Catholic people because I knew so many. And even in um, Akron, Ohio, where we lived at the time, most of my coworkers were Catholic there too. And so I started doing internet searches. This is before Google. There was no Google back then. It was Alta Vista Digital and Savvy Search. And there are these weird search engines that no one today has even heard of. And I would do searches on stuff. And lo and behold, this, this crazy guy from Phoenix, Arizona, James White, started coming up. And started reading transcripts of debates that he had done. Started getting tapes of his stuff. He, and Alpha and Omega Ministries had um, the, this program called The Dividing Line. And you could go out there and download the MP3s of his debates and of the, the dividing line from a place called straightgate.com. I don't know if that even exists anymore. But I'd go out to straightgate.com and every time he, he put anything else out, I'd get it. And um, I didn't even know he was a Baptist. Of course, I, I was uh, not even a member of a Reformed church yet. We, I was looking. Uh, I visited a, a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. Uh, there were no uh, Calvinistic or Reformed Baptist churches where we lived there. Um, and I went to Reformed churches, a Christian Reformed church. I didn't know they were becoming liberal. Uh, and that was kind of a weird experience uh, to go to one of those churches and wonder what in the heck they actually believed. Um, also started visiting Presbyterian churches. I thought that there was just, you know, Presbyterian churches. I didn't realize that there were liberal versions of these things. But every Presbyterian church I went to was a liberal church. And I kept scratching my head going, I thought these people held to this really great thing called the Westminster Confession. And yet... It seems to be locked in a safe in the back room somewhere. And then finally discovered, well, um, Presbyterians are the split peas. And there's all these OPC, PCA, and RPCES, and RPCGA, and yada, 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 and EPC, and everything else. 
So found some PCA churches and then, you know, was, was introduced to some, some really great folks, Zachary Eswine, uh, who's uh, an author and was a professor at, a, at Covenant Seminary for a little while. He was a pastor way back then, and he was the first Reformed pastor I ever talked to, and he really helped me. He introduced me to Martin Lloyd-Jones and let me borrow books and things like that, so I was very thankful for Zach Eswine. But anyway, um, James White was someone I read everything the guy had written that was available, you know, the Roman Catholic controversy, uh, The God Who Justifies, um, uh, the King James Only Controversy, great book. Uh, really learned a lot from Dr. White. I have uh, been benefited from his work tremendously. I still do. I still listen to The Dividing Line occasionally. I haven't listened to it as much since he's gone into the uh, Islamic issue because I, where, where I live, we, there's just that's just not an issue. Um, no, no one in my congregation is asking about Islam, so I haven't, I haven't followed The Dividing Line as much since he did that, but he's someone I, I really see as a very special person who has a big heart for the lost and loves the truth and has defended um, biblical Orthodox uh, Christianity and especially the gospel in, in almost every context imaginable. I mean, the guy's debated everybody on everything and has really conducted himself as a Christian gentleman. And I've always been very thankful for for White. And, and I pray for him. I pray for his safety because he, he goes into mosques in Muslim populated areas of the world and does these debates and I've, I've wondered if he's in danger uh, doing things like that but uh, I admire his courage and his, his guts and his stand for the, the true gospel and very very thankful for him and I love my Baptist brethren thankful for Tim and Carlos and um, their partnership and um, I, I think we'll be you know together uh, whether we ever convert each other to each other's uh, views on baptism um, we agree on the things that matter most and for that I'm, I'm very 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 thankful uh, so I just wanted to do this, you know, kind of an update uh, on me, what's going on in my life, and we got a baby coming, it's a little girl, um, everything looks healthy and good, and I think probably within the next couple of weeks uh, we'll get to meet her, and very excited about that, and uh, things are going great here at the church, and I, I'm really blessed and thankful, uh, things are going well with my family, I've been discipling a young man that's been courting my eldest daughter, he and I meet, we're reading uh, The Complete Husband by Lou Priolo, Um the Complete Husband by Lou Priolo um, is the equivalent of a Mike Tyson uppercut to the jaw uh, for married men. So if you want something that will convict you uh, and make you get on your knees in front of your wife and repentance and tears, asking her forgiveness for being married to someone like you, uh, Lou Priolo's book is great for that. Uh, but I've been uh, uh, discipling with uh, my probably future son-in-law, and I love him. He's a great young man. Uh, I baptized him. He... Uh, has been a professing Christian for quite some time, but had never been uh, baptized, and so he made a profession of faith, and I baptized him and have embraced him. He's, he's already like a son to me, so I'm very, very, very thankful for Nathan. Been praying for my children's future spouses from the time they were conceived in my wife's womb, and um, I would encourage everybody who has children, pray, pray, pray for wisdom for those kids and for uh, their future spouses and for their future families. And if you're married and have kids, you've got to set an example of what godly leadership is like. You've got to lead devotions and you've got to disciple your family. So that means you can't watch Netflix silly shows episode after episode after episode. You need to focus on your family and disciple your family and love your family. Wear yourself out for them because the future of this country depends on it. And, you know, our culture is a death culture. Okay, the last verse of Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom personified, says what? All those who hate me love death. 
what do what do deaf cultures do? Uh, they die. They die because uh, they hate kids. That's why they've murdered um, seventy million of them. They don't want kids, and so they have no future. Uh, there's no future. Uh, if you when you exalt homosexuality and transgenderism and all this LGBT QRSTUVWXYZ and whatever else is coming, what does that tend not to promote? Human flourishing. You know, I've uh, wondered. What about folks that are uh, promoting all this sexual perversion and you know the destruction and annihilation of marriage and everything else? What do they tend not to do? Reproduce. And so, what's their future? Their future's nothing. They have no future. The future is they all die. The future is crickets chirping over gravestones. And I thought, you know, if um, if each of my kids has ten kids of their own and that continues for eight generations, I will have 100 million descendants. How many descendants do death cultures tend to have? None. What do people in scripture cry out to God for constantly? Children. Children are a blessing. They're a blessing. You know, and it's an amazing thing. I remember learning, uh, I can't remember where I read this. It might have been in Kevin Swanson's book, The Second Mayflower. Yeah, it, it was. It was in that book. The Second Mayflower by Kevin Swanson. Great book. He points out that in the year 1900, okay, let's actually back up a little bit further. When Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, I think that was in 1726 that he wrote that, the average size, the average number of children born per household in the United States, um, of course, we didn't really fully exist. It was in the colonies then. We, in the American War for Independence hadn't happened yet. But the average number of children born per household over here in, in the colonies was seven. And Adam Smith was lamenting how few that was. <laughs> you think, pe- people have seven kids today, they think you've lost your mind. But you see, that, that number has steadily declined. It's steadily declined. In the year 1900, it had dropped to just over four. And Swanson points out, the studies have been done that confirm this, the average number of children born per household in 1900 was four. But the average square footage of houses that they lived in was less than half of what it is today. Today, the average number of children born per household is less than two. And we have now fallen below replacement. America as a nation is dying. We're not replacing ourselves anymore. So, think about what that means. What that means is, in 1900, people had twice the number of kids they have today and raise them in houses that were less than half the size of our houses are today. So what do we all need to do now? I guess we all need to go home and do what? Kiss our drywall? Hug our houses? Because we love our stuff. We love our things. And we don't want kids getting in the way of our things. I think that that's really an indictment against us. You know, the scriptures teach that debt, debt is something, it's not a sin, but it's certainly something that we want to avoid. In the Proverbs, it says that the debtor is a servant or a slave to the lender. And yet, uh, so, so debt, in a sense, is, is a bit of a curse, isn't it? And children are a blessing. And yet we apply for curses and we reject blessings. What does that mean? I think it means that our nation's under the wrath of God, under the judgment of God. You see, na- nations that are under the wrath of God and under the judgment of God tend not to know that they are. They're like the church, uh, the churches described in Revelation 2 and 3, 
We are wealthy and rich and have no need of anything, but don't know that you are naked and blind and dead. So think, think about that. Children are a blessing. And people will say, well, that's easy for you to say. You've got ten of them. Yeah, you know, but I haven't always felt that way. I haven't always thought that way. God showed mercy to us in convicting us and in, in helping us. And I, and I realize, people, there's health issues. There's other concerns. Um, you don't want to have more children than you can responsibly take care of. But usually, usually, you can handle more than you think. And God, God will help you with it. So... Anyway, that's that. I just wanted to uh, share an update and ask for some, some prayer on, on those, some of those things with regard to needing elders at the church and the future of the church. Um, and very thankful again for Tim and Carlos. Um, you know, Carlos uh, Montijo is, a, is just an, an excellent writer. Um, his stuff on, on Piper and the, the paper that he wrote, uh, part one, I've got, I've got part two queued up here. I really want to read through it because he was curious on, on getting some feedback from, from me. Um, he is just an excellent writer, uh, really labors to be clear, um, lots of citations and, and really, really shows how seriously he, he takes this issue. And I am very thankful for how careful these guys are, um, with their, their statements and with the things that they say and, uh, and just their love for and commitment to the gospel. Uh, so very thankful for them, very thankful to be a part of the, the network and I'm excited for the future of it. And I'm going to try to do some more uh, podcasts dedicated, uh, not just posting my greatest hits sermons, but really doing podcasts myself and the three seminary students here. I've asked them about doing, helping me do some podcasts on the state of theology, that uh, Ligonier study that was done about what people believe today and maybe going through some of the key texts and just talking about some of the basics of Christian doctrine that not only does the church need to know, but we need to be equipping the, the generation that's alive today to teach their children uh, about the essentials of the faith and the doctrines of the faith. So so that's that. This has been Pastor Patrick Hines here from Bertle Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. Uh, thank you for listening. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bertle Heights Presbyterian Church, located at 108 Bertle Heights Road in Kingsport, Tennessee. And you've been listening to the Protestant Witness Podcast. Please feel free to join us for worship any Sunday morning at 11 a.m. sharp, where we open the Word of God together, sing His praises, and rejoice in the gospel of our risen Lord. You can find us on the web at www.bridwellheightspca.org. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Music